Well, good morning, church family. Uh, I'm excited to be up here again, uh, exploring God's Word with God's people. It's just such a privilege and an honor. Uh, It's been three weeks since we were last in Acts chapter 14, and today we're going to return there. Um, This morning's message will be a little bit unusual, simply because we're focusing on such a small chunk of Scripture. Uh, While the adults are, are turning there, and the kids are finding the bingo pictures, which, by the way, Great big treasure chest up here for you bingo people. Uh, This is a quick recap of Acts 14 so far. Uh, Remember, the the chapter began with Paul in the middle of his first missionary journey of three. And he's with Barnabas, right? And they keep on uh, going through the same old thing. They go to a new place, and uh, they preach Jesus. They begin to teach some followers, and then they start getting mistreated, often by the religious leaders. And um, then they either move on after a while, or they get kicked out. Um, And after a crowd literally tried to execute Paul, they actually stoned him, um, but failed to kill him. The apostles uh, went to another town for a while, and then they started backtracking and kind of going on the the same route, but backwards in order to to further establish and strengthen those churches, Uh, because remember, they were planting churches during this time. So the end of this chapter generally shows what the apostles did in those towns and how they reported back to their home base in Antioch. Um, But y'all, these few verses identify at least six different things that are important in the overall life of the church, as short as they are. And since that's a lot, and since the first one's going to take up a lot of time, um, we're going to split these up over at least the next couple of weeks. Uh, Today, though, the message is on the first of those six things. So Acts 14.23 says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Shall we pray? I think that'd be good. Father God, thank you for this day. I thank you for this church family. I thank you, Father, that we get to see um, some faces that we haven't gotten to see uh, as frequently lately, God. And we ask in Jesus' name for continued strength and healing for those who who struggle to be here and who want to be here so badly but can't always make it. Uh, God, we thank you that as we learned in Sunday school this morning that you are good all the time and that you take care of your people. We don't always see it. We don't always recognize it until hindsight, but uh, we're so grateful for your goodness. I pray this morning, Father, as uh, this may seem like kind of a specialized message, um, I pray that uh, I know that there's still things in here that every person here will be able to, to gain something good Uh, by listening to, and I pray, Father, that you will uh, move our hearts to be good soil. May we receive the word, and may it bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the wording in that sentence might be uh, a little bit confusing, and so we're going to try to clarify it just a little bit. When Luke writes they the first two times, okay, he means the apostles, and then when he says them, he's referring to the believers in the places where Paul and Barnabas were planting churches. Then the last they, in that sentence, could actually refer to either the apostles or the believers. I I personally think it refers to both, okay? Now, we're going to focus on the first half of this verse today, so you don't even need to be concerned with it, uh, with the second half of that until next week, okay? So we're just going to stick with this first part, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church. What I felt led to, to preach on this morning is the importance of elders in the life of the church. Now, the Bible has a couple of main sections 
that identify what the characteristics of good elders are supposed to be. One of them is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, That's probably the most famous one. Another one is in Titus chapter 1. And both of those were actually letters that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the person that the book is named after. Uh, Titus and Timothy were both kind of protégés of Paul's. Anyway, uh, the traits that are listed there are are super handy for whenever a man is being considered for the position of elder. Uh, And by the way, um, elders were always men in the early church. Okay, that idea wasn't really debated for the first 1,900 years of church history, um, but there is biblical and traditional support for women in leadership positions over other women, and also both of the sexes are involved in servant leadership roles known as deacons. Okay, anyway, that, that's all important. That's not the main point today, um, so we're just going to keep that on the back burner till probably later on this year when we get to Acts chapter 20. We'll kind of revisit some of the church leadership stuff. Uh, What I want to focus on today, while the kids are finding some more pictures, hopefully, uh, is not the individual characteristics that a man must have to be an elder. Rather, we're going to look at what the office of elder is, okay? And most importantly, what the elder's role in the life of the church is, okay? So, and this isn't fully covered in any specific spot in the Bible, but we glean it from a lot of different verses that are kind of scattered throughout the New Testament, Um, In various places, there are different names for elder that show up, but scholars almost universally agree that they are all names for the same same leadership position in the church. Some other words that are synonymous with elder that you might be familiar with are are bishop, overseer, presbyter, pastor, and shepherd, okay? And those words all refer to the same office, There doesn't appear to be any distinction in the Bible between those words. So before we talk about the actual role of an elder, let's look first at what this this passage particularly says about them. Okay, First of all, note, they were appointed, not elected. What does appointed mean? What? Picked. I think I heard somebody say chosen over here. Okay, selected, right? You know, after writing this PowerPoint, Um, I thought, man, I could have said selected, not elected for the rhyme, but oh well. Uh, But the word appointed is really even stronger because we can select something arbitrarily, right? I mean, if if you're like, oh, I don't know what kind of shake I want, chocolate, strawberry, whatever. You know I mean? You you just kind of pick something off the top of your head. We can do that without any real reason other than a whim, right? But to appoint, to appoint means to choose something or someone out from among more than one, sometimes many, for a specific purpose, okay? So who chose the elders, and what was their their criteria? What was their rationale? And we don't know for certain, but we can make an estimated guess, okay? The apostles chose the new elders, in this case, Paul and Barnabas, likely by observing who seemed to be elder material based on their demeanor and based on their personal integrity. But they would also be choosing Uh, men that were already held in high esteem by the rest of the church. And I highly doubt, highly doubt, that the apostles would appoint people that the rest of the church had major concerns about. Now, they likely had input from from the rest of the congregation, from the rest of the believers, and they made their decisions based on that, as well as seeing which men were already living in such a way that it dignified the office. And, And here is why I find this so important to mention, okay, that they were selected and not elected. 
Uh, I, I think that churches that hold annual uh, elections to choose elders are doing a huge disservice to their church, to their congregations. I think it's, it's, I realize voting for any kind of leadership, even spiritual leadership, is kind of the American way, right? But that is not the biblical way. And frankly, if spiritually immature people have the same voting power as spiritually mature people and outnumber them, chances are they will elect the wrong person. <clears throat> anyway, most of you already know, I'm not, I'm not referring to this church, by the way. I'm, refer, I'm just going to drop that. All right. <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, most of you already know that a crowd of people is typically dumber than any individual member of the crowd, right? I mean, we know that, right? The bigger the crowd, the, the lower the collective IQ, generally speaking. Okay. Well, at, at Crossroad, just so you know, none of the men serving as elder were voted into that place. And this, most of you guys probably know this, but for those of you that are kind of new, I wanted to let you know, in each circumstance, that man was selected by the current elders after observing him. And then he was approached to see if there was any interest, and then brought into the leadership meetings, and then eventually presented to the congregation as a candidate for leadership. And then a few weeks are allotted, you know, to, to give people an opportunity. If anyone feels like that man should not be an elder, uh, for a biblical reason, they have a chance to express their concerns. And then if at the end of that time, the rest of the elders believe that, that he fulfills the, the biblical requirements and he still desires the office, he's appointed as a former elder, and that's done through, uh, through the laying on of hands and prayer, okay? And it's a public thing. And just an FYI, by the way, um, it says elders were appointed, so also they were plural, Okay, they were plural. Note the S on the end of that word. Apparently, there were no Lone Ranger elders any, anywhere in any of these churches. By the way, the other day, um, somebody mentioned the Lone Ranger in a, in a class setting, and one of the kids was like, who's that? And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, I'm getting old. Anyway, so I mentioned this because some denominations have a church government uh, where there's really one person who's considered kind of the leader of a congregation. And I think there's a lot of inherent dangers. Um, if there's just one man who's, who's over a local church, what happens if he has a great moral failure? You know, or what happens if he, if, he, if he moves or if he dies? You know, what happens if there's a difficult decision that has to be made and there are no checks and balances? You know, one of the, one of the, the things that uh, came out of the, the mask and the unmask movement that was going on uh, for a couple of years there, um, where a lot of churches were experiencing splits over that, as ridiculous as that is. And, and one thing that, that was really neat when I read about this later was that the churches who had multiple elders, uh, as opposed to one person, had a much better time of, of being able to keep their churches together and being able to experience kind of a, um, it was easier on the leadership because it wasn't just one person having to make that decision. Okay, and, and we had different viewpoints uh, in this congregation that we had to kind of work around. And that's okay. It's good to have plural leadership. Anyway, the biblical model is a plurality of male elders. So, uh, what else? Notice the apostles appointed elders in every church, which means a couple of things. First, there were no churches that didn't have elders. Okay, I mean, I, I know that's kind of obvious from what it says here, but we should recognize that a group of believers will not really be effective if there are no trustworthy people in leadership roles. 
I mean, we've all seen that. You've all experienced having, you know, too many chiefs and not enough Indians, right? Well, sometimes there's too many Indians and no chiefs. It's difficult either way. So elders were important enough in the life of a church that the disciples put some in every church. And by the way, we're going to define church here too. Okay, most of us know a church is not the building, right? You know that. It's the what? It's the people, right? Okay. The body of Christ. There, there is only one church with a capital C, okay? Just one. And that consists of every true believer in Jesus Christ. Those people have been born again. They've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, okay? And they are the body of Christ. Now, a person might attend services. They might even be involved in in, in church leadership. But if they're not regenerated by grace through faith, they aren't part of the church. Millions of professing Christians, I say professing Christians, show little to no evidence of being born again. So beware. Another usage of the word church in Scripture is any group of believers that's connected through a localized affiliation. So uh, meaning every, every town, every city would have its own church. And there's a, a sense in which each local church had autonomy, which means they were not directly ruled by a distant governing body, okay? Now, in that sense, each individual church had leadership that was accountable to the people they led and to the Lord, but they weren't directly governed by some hierarchy, you know, by some diocese or something somewhere else. Now, that asterisk by autonomy is there um, because the churches in Jerusalem and Antioch, they had apostles that were still receiving revelation from the Lord, right, about certain issues, uh, limited issues, okay? For instance, uh, when God revealed that Gentiles could also be saved, right? That was something that was new, so they're still receiving some new revelation, uh, even though that is kind of, it was spelled out a little bit in the Old Testament. But in chapter 15, we're going to read another doctrinal uh, issue that they had to bang out. We're going to get to that in a few weeks here. But when it comes, uh, when, it, when it came to basic local church governance and spiritual leadership, the individual congregations were under the authority of Christ first, and then, because uh, he's the head of the church, Christ is the head of every church, but under Christ, then to the elders in that body. And Paul started a lot of churches, okay? And he gave direction to the elders, but he didn't try to micromanage them. Once it was up and running, they might occasionally get, you know, a letter from him with some, some course-correcting instruction type stuff. But, but the elders were considered the authority in that body. Okay, so all of that stuff is, is right here in the first half of verse 23. But now let's go back to the various synonyms for elder, okay? Got bishop which we don't use that often anymore unless you're in certain denominations. Uh, overseer, that, uh, the, the word, is, I mean, literally, it's, it's episkopos in Greek. It means somebody who sees over, who overlooks, who, who uh, kind of keeps their eye on everything. Presbyter, uh, which is, I think, the word usually translated elder. Um, and it, it does mean aged, by the way. Um, pastor and shepherd. I want to go back to, to shepherd in a second, but I want to tell you something about, a, about pastor. Um, the word pastor and the word elder are essentially the same thing. So you may, um, you may think of, you know, the pastor is the person that's in the pulpit most of the time doing the sermons, but every elder is a pastor, okay? There's a pastoral nature that those people have or else they uh, should not be in that position. And that is 
It, it's the same. So when a person is a preacher, that's not necessarily synonymous with pastor. I just want to put that out there. Uh, now, one of these words is my favorite. You can probably tell which one <laughs> by looking up there. Um, and you're going to see why in a moment or two. But, but please note, elder is an office, not a title. Okay? And I don't know if that makes sense, so I'm going to try to clarify. There are many people who refer, and I know it's out of respect, uh, but they refer to their preaching elder as pastor so-and-so, okay? And there's, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that, but it's more cultural than it is biblical. And here's what I, I discovered this during the week. I was, I was uh, kind of looking into this to see if my hunch was right. There are lots of places where Paul refers to himself as an apostle, which literally means one who is sent, an apostle of Jesus Christ, but nowhere does he refer to himself as the Apostle Paul. That's our title for him. Did you know that? He doesn't refer to himself by that as a title. And when you look at Peter's epistles, he never refers to himself as Elder Pete, you know, let alone Pope Petey, you know. He, he never says that. He refers to himself as a fellow elder along with the men to whom he was writing. And we're, we're going to come back to that too. Um, what I'm getting at is this. Anyone, anyone today who names himself Apostle so-and-so, probably reaching, <laughs> okay? Probably reaching. We had a professor in college who insisted that her students refer to her as doctor, even though she was only in the doctorate program at the time, and uh, we all thought that was kind of weird. And then my dad, on the other hand, uh, he was constantly, or I should say consistently, called Dr. Barrier, even though he didn't have a doctorate at the time, and that was just because some of you guys are taking classes under him, you know, he has so much knowledge and, and gravitas, it just made people think he was a doctor, and he used to correct people and just kind of got over, he just gave up, because <laughs> people kept calling him Dr. Barrier. Um, but the title is so much less important than having the qualities of an office. Now, even so, th this is not a perfect analogy, because um, being an elder is not like earning a PhD. It's not about learning the information, you know, and then taking tests and getting a degree. It's a, it's a very different process, a very different, you know, becoming an elder um, should never be due to your personality. It should never be due to uh, your physical capabilities or especially your business acumen. I've seen situations where a person that never should have been an elder, and I'm not talking about at this church, was put in a position of eldership when it was because they were good at their job, but they did not have the spiritual qualities. So I just want to explain that an elder must live up to a higher standard, okay? A higher spiritual standard, not just with respect to God, but respect to God's people at the same time, how they relate to the people in the church. There should be great love for God and for people, and they should be able to disciple others. That's a good segue into why my favorite word is shepherd for elder. I think God has a soft spot in his heart for shepherds. I really do. I mean, who, who was the greatest Old Testament king of Israel? And what was he? Okay, who did the angels appear to on the night Jesus was born? Shepherds. Even though shepherds were considered the, the bluest of blue-collar jobs in ancient Israel, and they were viewed as kind of icky, you know. They, they reflect the heart of God and that they take care of some pretty dumb, dependent animals, right? And before you feel insulted by this, remember that shepherd, with, with regard to elders, is about the role, not the intellect, 
okay? Elders are God's sheep too. And, and we're also dumb and dependent. God just grows some people into the role of being able to help lead his sheep. But I, I, really, I really think God likes to use shepherd as an analogy. I really do. There's some great examples of this in the Bible. We're going to look at three passages that give us a, a good, uh, I guess a good idea of why elders under, under, under God's shepherding, so they are under shepherds, what elders are to do and what elders are not to do. And by the way, if you're wondering, why does this matter to me? You know, like, why is this applicable to, you know, to everyday church folk? You need to hold your leadership accountable to God's standards of both behavior and stewardship of that role, okay? So this is important for you to know. So if you would, uh, please turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. I'm going to read the beginning of the chapter. Uh, which is a word of the Lord against the leaders of Israel who were, they were doing a terrible job of caring for God's people, okay? He calls them shepherds, though, okay? Listen. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened. The sick you've not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you've not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. Y'all, that's a, that's a terrible indictment. <laughs> It's directly from the Lord. I mean, and it's aimed at people that are supposed to be caring for his people, but instead they're using and abusing them for, for their own selfish purposes. The leaders of Israel were doing a horrible job. And then after describing how he was going to punish the wicked shepherds, God continues to explain the plight of these poor sheep. He says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. Does that sound familiar? You remember when Jesus landed on the ocean? It says he had compassion on the people, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. It says they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep, God says, were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth, all the face, with none to search or seek for them. That sounds hopeless, doesn't it? That's what happens when spiritual leadership doesn't do its job. The sheep scatter because they don't have a leader. They don't have a provider. They don't have protectors. They have no direction at all. A few verses later, God says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all of the places where they have been scattered on a day of cloud and thick darkness. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. See, this, this is God expressing what a good shepherd does. 
He, he, he provides for his sheep. He takes care of them, okay? What a stark contrast to these, these selfish, brutal, malignant leaders in Israel. They're old shepherds. I mean, isn't it all too common that fallen mankind just can't handle being given a position of authority? Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's so very important that pastor elders reject the temptation to take advantage of people for their own ends. And we must not succumb to laziness or indifference and let God's flock wander and get lost. Let's return to the subject of the apostle Peter. I mentioned him earlier. Isn't Peter one of those dudes in the Bible that you can just totally identify with? I mean, boy, I do. You know, you know, he's just, he's so human. <laughs> he's walking on water one moment and he's drowning the next, right? You know, you see, he's bravely defending Jesus, even attacking a guy with a sword and then cowering from a servant girl just a few hours later. He was a spaz, honestly. But, but Peter changed a lot throughout the course of his life. You know, especially after he received the Holy Spirit. But we see over the years, as Peter matured in his faith, maybe the greatest difference that we see in him was in his humility. Because remember, what's the most humbling moment in his life? There are probably a couple. <laughs> I mean, one was when it says, after he denied Peter for the third time, and the cock crowed, it says, the Lord looked at Peter. Oh, can you imagine? He went outside and wept bitterly, but then later... Jesus restored him three times in John chapter 21. You know, Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus reinstates him three times. And, and he's, he gives him the same basic command all three times. Anybody remember what it is? Yeah, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Well, Peter did for several more decades until he was murdered in Rome. And a few years before his death, he wrote an amazing passage in his first letter to the churches, which included this. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Now, I want you to pause there. We're going to allow it to have a dot, 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 okay? Before we jump into the, the, the next part, um, the exhortation, I want you to take note of what Peter says here. My dad told me this recently, okay? I'm giving him credit. I found it fascinating. Peter refers to himself in this sentence as a fellow elder, right? Not the vicar of Christ on earth. You know, no, he said, I am a fellow elder. And then he mentions that he witnessed Christ's sufferings, which means that, that he is also just another apostle who was there for that, right? And then he calls himself a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, meaning he, he's just another Christian. He sees himself as just another elder, just another Apostle, just another Christian. And that is really, in a, it's a great perspective. And I think it's appropriate for a spiritual leader to have that about himself. Because who is the head of the church? Christ is the head of the church. Not me, not you, not some other elder, not MacArthur, Piper, Sproul, Spurgeon, definitely not Osteen, okay? I mean, anyone in a position of authority in Christ's church is under Christ's headship. And his duties as a steward of the flock should be done humbly and graciously and in fear of the Lord. 
Anyway, Peter's statement to his fellow elders goes like this. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I like that sentence a lot. I like that part. It's a reminder, the ultimate reward for servant leadership in the kingdom, it doesn't always pay in this life. I'm blessed to have a paycheck. Uh, Most of our elders don't. They don't get anything in this life from serving the Lord through their eldership. But for sure, it will pay dividends in the next. So, uh, we're going to spend just a few minutes based on that section of 1 Peter and the previous one from Ezekiel. I want us to look at some things that elders must do and not do. And we're going to start with the negatives, okay? Other than begrudge the office, because they're not supposed to, it's not supposed to be a burden. It's supposed to be a privilege. What else are elders not to do? One thing an elder should never do is bleed the flock. In other words, they should never mistreat God's people who've been entrusted to their care, okay? When it, when it comes to the oversight of the flock, even in the case of discipline, Firmness should never become harshness, okay, whether verbally, physically, emotionally, whatever the case may be, it is never okay to abuse one of God's people, never okay. An elder must also never need the flock in the sense that, you know, he has to be in charge for the sake of his ego or, or self-esteem. As great as a privilege as it is to be in a position of spiritual leadership, the joy should never come from having people look up to you, okay? The joy should always be a result of you seeing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. I want to share a verse with you very quickly. It's not in your notes, um, but it's, it's really powerful, and it ought to be what makes every elder tick, okay? Um, this ought to be our driving motivation. In 3 John, verse 4, the apostle says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, as a very flawed man, I can agree, as both an imperfect parent and an imperfect pastor, that this this is accurate. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It's powerful. Such a a blessing. Uh, Continuing on, elders must also not greed the flock. And yes, I know it's not a verb, but it rhymes, so <laughs> you're stuck with it. Um, what I mean is spiritual leaders should never be in it for the sake of exploiting people or exploiting that role for their own gratification. And, and y'all, I'm sure we've all heard them. I, I've, I've heard terrible stories of so-called pastors abusing people's trust and taking advantage of them. And, and some people, they're, they're not in it for the sake of the flock. They're Maybe they're just looking for a paycheck and they'll do, you know, whatever. This isn't isn't typically a a preacher position. They'll do or say whatever it takes to keep that paycheck coming rather than whatever it takes to actually care for God's people. And based on that Ezekiel passage, God hates that. It hates, he hates when people say whatever it takes to keep people happy. That is not our job. been said, and it's true, that Jesus didn't die to make his people happy. He died to make his people holy. And that's the job of spiritual leadership, too. It's not our job to make you happy. 
It's our job to help the Holy Spirit. We are not the Holy Spirit. We don't think we are. Don't worry. But it's our job to help provide those opportunities, those situations for you to grow, for you to become more holy. And it's our job to become more holy too. We all fail. We all fail. Anyway, so, so these are things the church shepherds must not do. Now, what are some things that they are to do? First, we're to feed the flock. You know, the main responsibility of, of an elder in the church of Jesus Christ is to teach the word effectively so that it transforms the lives of those who listen. You will never be transformed in a good way by hearing someone's opinion, okay? But hearing the word will transform you. I gotta be careful. I could probably back up on that last statement and find some exceptions. There's probably some opinions that are good versus other opinions. But here's the thing. The word of God is transformative in itself. And when you teach it, it changes lives because it changes hearts. These passages that we're looking at today, they they may not specifically say that, but it is certainly implied because that is the best way to spiritually feed a person, you know, teaching the word of God, that is, that is paramount, that should take priority. Next, shepherds are to lead the flock, meaning guide and direct your local congregation. You know, and part of this, I'm terrible at this, so I'm putting this out there, okay? Part of this is looking to the future to see what's coming and then preparing God's people to deal with what's on the horizon, you know, whether it's potential danger, whether it's wonderful opportunity or both. Sometimes those things are the same. You know, but when navigating through difficult times, shepherds look for the best ways to, uh, to help their flock to spiritually flourish. We look for the best ways to, to bring people closest to God. And we, we should model, elders should model how to walk faithfully after Christ. Like, like Peter said before, which leads to the next point. Elders should breed the flock. And no, we're not talking about arranged marriages. I just want to make that clear, okay? Um, One thing that shepherds do is we try to create optimal conditions for the flock to grow and multiply. And it's the same within the church, right, As, as it is for shepherds in the field, as it is for shepherds in the church. You know, our official mission, according to Jesus Christ himself, right, is to make disciples. You may have noticed there's an asterisk there again. I like those, right? Because it's not just making disciples. Our goal is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples and so on and so forth, right? That should be what we're here for. The kingdom doesn't grow best by addition. It grows best by exponential multiplication. And as the flock matures, uh, if the flock is healthy and if conditions allow, it should begin to multiply, So the shepherd's job, whether in the field or whether in the ministry, is to take care of the flock so that it grows. Now what else? Shepherds should read the flock. And I mean this in the sense of knowing the people personally, uh, relationally, so that members of the church aren't just a number on Sunday morning. You know, shepherds in ancient Israel were, were so familiar with their sheep, they were allegedly able to tell which sheep uh, they were touching in the dark by the feel of their head. I mean, I have trouble telling them apart just looking at them, right? Sometimes I can't hardly tell a sheep from a sheep dog. But these guys are able to tell by the feel of the sheep's head. 
which of the flock they were dealing with, even if they couldn't see them. Fellow elders, fellow shepherds, how well do we know the flock that God has entrusted to us? How well do we know? Another thing elders must do is plead for the flock. I totally realized while writing this that intercede would have fit a tiny bit better. But, but to plead means to ask on behalf of oneself or of someone else, and that is something that shepherds are called to do. We must pray for the flock. We must pray with the flock. This, this is part of setting an example as well as part of the caring and feeding of God's sheep. You know, James 5 indicates that the elders visit and pray over the sick. And if a, a shepherd is neglecting this duty, he needs to reaccess the heart of God through the Holy Spirit. An elder should be looking for the wounded sheep to bind up, or the fallen sheep to pull out of the pit, or the wandering sheep to carry home. And finally, the, the shepherd ought to weed the flock. And, and again, I realize it's a mixed metaphor, sorry, but it's referring to weeding out, you know, removing things that aren't beneficial to the flock. It might be bad doctrine, it might be bad cultural uh, influence. It, it, worst case scenario, it could even be wolves in sheep's clothing that sometimes infiltrate the church. You know, a major role of the shepherd in the field is to protect the sheep. And a spiritual shepherd's charge, it's our calling, it's our job, is to spiritually guard the flock from danger. This, this is a grave responsibility. And shepherds need to take it seriously because we will be held accountable to God himself. You know, there's a passage in Hebrews 13. Uh, preachers don't like to mention this because it can feel self-serving. But churches need to hear it. And so I'm going to say this for the sake of the health of the local body. Verse 17 of Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For their egos? No. Okay? For they are keeping watch over your souls. That's intense. Keeping watch over your souls as those who will give account. That's a truly terrifying statement. Then he goes on to say, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I'm very thankful uh, to belong to a congregation where the elders have a good reputation with the church body. That has not always been the case everywhere that I've been. Okay. So here's the thing. Please, as long as your members of this church or any other local church, make it easy on your leaders to protect you because they are accountable to God. Anyway, uh, I'm going to wrap this up by referring back to Peter's words. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, who's he talking about? Jesus, thank you. When the chief shepherd appears, and, and you know, Jesus had a few things to say about shepherding too. You, you may remember that from earlier today. Um, I'm going to end with some sound bites from his, his real quick discourse there in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Because remember, he's the only way to the pasture. The thief comes only to kill and destroy. I came that they, meaning his sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. 
I am the good shepherd, he goes on to say. I know my own, and my own know me. You know that? He, he knows the shape of our heads in the dark. You know that? He knows. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Yeah, he did. <laughs> the Son of God descended to earth to take on the very nature of a servant. And he was humbled through perfect obedience to the Father, even unto death. Death on a cross to appease the wrath of God against sinners like me, like you. And though he died to pay for our sins, God raised him from the dead, and Jesus ascended into heaven and was the first shepherd to receive an unfading crown of glory. And fellow shepherds, in order to most effectively show the love of Christ, let's daily lay down our lives for the sake of God's flock. What about the rest of y'all? Do you, do you believe that the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, lay down his life for you? Do you believe in his deity, his death, and his resurrection? Because in a moment, you'll have a chance to respond to anything the Holy Spirit might be saying to your heart. If you fit any of these descriptions up here on the slide, I, I, I want to invite you to come forward as we stand together and sing.